Wait, you got what you you're you're done pooping in 15 minutes? Oh, faster than that. I'm a fast pooper, man. Man, I take my time in there. Oh, okay. Mm. 20 minutes average. <laughs> Read the newspaper. <laughs> All right. Cool. Anyway. Welcome to the Good Games Podcast. My name is James. I'm Leo. And I'm John. Uh, Today we are talking about card games. Gentlemen, uh, specifically we're talking about uh, the hit indie roguelike deck building game Slay the Spire. Uh, I really like this game. Uh, I think John really likes this game leo uh what are your thoughts on slay the spire uh it's cute okay so you we in in our in our let's let's call it pre-show preparation you use that exact same verbiage it's cute what 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 the hell does that mean i don't what does that mean i mean cute like uh you know like Candyland or uh like a like a like a Muppets game, <laughs> or you know something for for toddlers. Come on, man! No, what? you can't be serious. What? I'm not saying the game is is targeting toddlers. It's just like those are cute things. I don't know. I like a puppy. <laughs> okay, why is this game for toddlers? <laughs> um, not that it's for toddlers. Just that um, mm. it's uh. I feel like uh, I I am very critical of uh, card games in general. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, my a lot of my gaming history, as you guys know, is with probably the most complex and most famous and most popular, and most epic card game in the history of card games, which is Magic the Gathering. It's and, definitely uh, the most popular. I don't know yeah, about the, the other things complex. are opinions. I know, but right, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, definitely, it's very complex. Definitely. I mean, inarguably the most popular. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think it's opinion that it's the best, but it's a very complex game. You, you have to give it that. Ah, uh, sure. I mean, I've played more complex games than Magic, but you know, whatever. In any case, the complexity is in the cards, really. Uh, sure. And and the interactions and, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with a game like this, um, uh, you know, it's just it's not a lot of complexity, I guess. Um, what? In my what? opinion, um, did we play the same game? Yeah, I don't know. It just it just felt pretty. I, like I played, I played through uh, all three runs with the three these yep. three characters that you unlock. Yep, um, yep, yep. With with every run, you unlock the next character. I played, yep. I played like two runs with each character, right. and I'm I'll be fine if I never play the game again. <laughs> what? It just was kind of boring, but it was um, cute. But, like I'm, I get it. I get why a lot of people like it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I am super excited. Uh, this is probably good timing because uh, right around the time of the posting of this episode, the game will be on sale on Nintendo Switch, which that um, seems to happen with a lot of indie games that get popular on like PC or well, not get popular, but get released on PC, uh, then get like ported to Switch. And then all of a sudden everyone's talking about this game. And I'm like, yeah, I know this game has been out for a while on PC. Like, are you guys just now finding it on Switch? Like the PC same thing happened with, race. The same thing happened with like Hollow Knight with like um, 
Uh, oh, Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley is huge on Switch. And that was yes. Oh, ago. perfect example. Perfect yeah. example. That was on PC for a while. Yeah. Came out on Switch and exploded. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, perfect example. A lot of these indie games are finding a second lease on life on on the Switch. With good reason. I bet you uh, Slate Aspire would be very good on Switch. A nice casual game. Yes. You just oh, play perfect. for a few minutes on the shitter and like you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. I how long what a couple minutes like how long are your runs in Slate Aspire, Leo? I was gonna say this is not a very good toilet game. Yeah, this is not a toilet game. This is well, not You're gonna have cr- you're gonna have numb legs at the end of your play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean that 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 actually is kind of one of the things I found interesting was I never really knew like how to stop playing the game in the middle of a run because like does it uh-huh. save if you stop? Yeah, on 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 PC. Well, at least on PC, there's like a save and quit, and it'll remember where you were. Okay, so yeah. I just never I never did that because I was afraid they wouldn't uh-huh. save it. They never they never really told me anything about saving or anything because the mm. game's so good you couldn't put it down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it felt more like I was forced to play the run. So I think my longest run, I don't know, with the poison dude, I went to like th- three bosses or so. Yep. At the very end, you know, like the, the big bosses at yep. the end. The third boss, yeah. Yeah, like that. Roughly that long. Okay. Now, did you beat the third boss? No, no, I think I died. And then... Ah, uh, okay. I, how All did right. you unlock the other guys? Did you just leveled up enough or? Yeah, they just unlocked after every run. I don't know. Uh, I thought you had to beat the game uh, before you unlock the other characters. That's what I thought as well. Maybe you have to just beat the first boss. I don't know. They might have changed it. Maybe they changed it. Um, Mm. Do we need to actually spell out what this game is? Yeah, well, that was Um, a nice little hint. And now let's talk about how the game is actually architected. So uh, this is a a mashup of two different game genres. This is um, roguelike games. So um, games in the style of the classic game rogue where things are randomly generated um so you have random encounters with random enemies and actually your encounters are not necessarily even with enemies sometimes you might have like a little role playing where you have to make a decision or sometimes you'll encounter a shop and you can buy stuff um all the contents of the shop are random all of the like um, decisions you have to make are like randomly generated all the cards are random like everything's random 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 um so that's the roguelike part and uh, the other genre it's mashed up with is a deck builder so the um wait 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 the, you forgot one important element of roguelike where your yeah. deaths persist. oh and permadeath yes uh so yeah your run uh once you die thank you john once you die your that's it your run is over and then if you want to play the game again you start back at the beginning um which by the way the roguelike part of the game i actually liked more than the second part of the game you're about to describe the deck builder yeah like i like i enjoyed the roguelike features more than i enjoyed the deck building features ha yeah they're so like inexorably intertwined i don't know how you can well i mean like which like the aspect which as a like, roguelike though it's not really true to that genre 100 like a roguelike like, is supposed to be extremely brutal but this game is not necessarily that that's true yeah, uh, yeah that's what i've found I, I i found once you learn a lot of Slay the Spire is learning how to break the game. And this game, this game is, that is the best thing this does, is when you break Slay the Spire, uh, you feel really smart. And, like, there is a bunch of cards, and once you realize what the synergies are, that's when, like, Slay the Spire starts, like, 
being fun because then you're like seeking out all of these like combinations that are broken in that like the way the way like when you have that aha moment when you're like ah these two cards go together or like this combination's broken this card goes with this artifact or whatever like that's when the game starts making you feel like really smart yeah but then it like all right we'll continue with the second half of the game and then i'll have my oh it's a deck builder um uh, if you've never played a like a deck building game a lot of like traditional deck building games are uh physical uh i guess there hasn't been a lot of like uh uh digital deck building games that i can think of so this is like um ascension or dominion or clank or uh just anything where uh, hearthstone ah hearthstone's not really a deck it's not well well okay no in in heart the what 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 did they used to call an arena or something they had they had there's like an yeah 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 that is kind of a deck builder where you're uh, drafting a, a certain amount of cards and you're and you're looking for synergies within within those cards. Well, I think right? there's also a, a card. There's like a mode where you can go through your whole deck, and I think you can make your own decks and play like ranked or something. Yes, like but that making too. your own deck, yeah, but is not the yeah, same as a deck building game, and that's where yeah. Then it's is. like then it's like a constructed deck. Then right. it becomes. I mean, they're all subgenres under card games, right? But then it's it's a constructed game, more more in in line with like Magic yeah. or Netrunner the, the, or the, whatever. The, the main difference okay. is the core rules of this game involves having like a predetermined number of cards you start with, and then basically purchasing new cards that then become a part of the deck. Yes. And yes. over the time, as you purchase more cards, you're, like you're building your deck as the game goes along. Now, Hearthstone was always like. Like more like a collectible card game or competitive card game where yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you pre-construct the deck, you build your deck, yeah. but you go in with a pre-constructed deck into a, a match of yes. 1v1. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, like the, the the actual game, like playing your opponent does not involve building a deck. Right. That's, that's the main difference. And I mean, okay, so now I'll get to, I think what I've realized I don't like about this game. Um, uh-huh. the, the game is a deck building game. So yep. number one, I don't really like deck building games that much. Um, really, I, I thought you were all about Dominion. I thought you loved Dominion. Dominion was fun, but it's not like, like it's it's, it's not Magic. It's not like Hearthstone or WoW TCG or Yu Gi Oh. No, like, yeah, no. They're very different. Like I like playing card games. So my problem with deck building games is like you don't really, oh, man. you don't really get to play for a while. <laughs> you know, like like so you like you just said. Okay, you figure okay. out the strategies. Okay that that yeah. work and you have to like try yeah. to get there so that you can really get to play the deck that you want to play. Um, That's that I that is definitely true. In in the early game, in early run portions of Slay the Spire, your your optimal turn is very obvious. Like if you're comfortable playing, are you eating candy right now? Uh oh my if you're, <laughs> <laughs> uh good audio. Uh <laughs> if you're if you're if you're like um, if you have any experience playing card games, uh, then y- your optimal turn in the, in beginnings of Slay the Spire is usually pretty obvious what you, what you need to do. Like, yeah. okay, I have these certain attack cards and I, I, I have a certain amount of block that I need to block. I mean, I, I would whatever. argue like, that it's really boring. Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But, like, the, okay, the part that makes uh, Slay the Spire so satisfying is and and I've never experienced this in any physical deck builder is like late game when you start building your engine 
um, the path to an optimal turn gets really obscured yeah. and like like there are entire turns where I'm thinking about like what are my your, what turn are your outs order and, and and what yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no I, I'm thinking about my turn game. order for like ten minutes yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. It doesn't have, it's, it's, it is, Slay the Spire is definitely less interesting in the beginning of the run as opposed to the end of the run. Every time. Definitely. It's terribly boring. Definitely. And here's the problem number two with (laughs) it. I don't think it's terribly boring. I would say it is less interesting. But here's the second problem with it, right? So that's the inherent problem I have with deck builders as a whole. It's just like getting there. Then the other problem is for Slay the Spire specifically, it feels like getting there is really difficult because... Um, a, you're, you don't really have any choices to work. Like, it's not like you get, so, so the way that Slay the Spire works is after every match, you, you get to unlock one of three random cards to put in your deck. I don't know if it's yep, semi-random yep, yep, yep. Or, or fully random, yep. but you don't really, yep. it's not like you have like a, like a library of cards and you already know the exact one you want next and you get to go pick it. Uh, so you, you don't, but after a certain number of plays of Slay the Spire, uh, like after you play the game, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 times, you, you know what the card possibilities are. So that, that, that over time becomes less of a problem. But you, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but at some point you're going to defeat an enemy and have no choice but to take one of three bullshit cards that you don't want in your deck, right? No, no, that, that is exactly the trap that pe- like, I, I'm not implying anything, but that is exactly the trap that like a lot of novice players will fall into right. is like, Oh, which one of these shit cards do I want? The answer is none of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, okay. The answer a lot of times is none of yeah, them. Yeah, It definitely like, was for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about a lot of times, maybe like uh, one out of 10 times for me. No, a lot of Those, times for like, me. I didn't want any of the cards on the first, on the first level on, on the first, whatever they call on the first spire. Yeah. A lot of times for me, yeah. a lot of times the answer is I don't want any of these. Exactly. And that is, most of the time, that's the correct answer right. because um, if, if, if you go back to like, so I know Leo and I have a lot of history playing competitive constructed games and a lot of, a lot of optimizing your deck in a, in a constructed only, game. Only is, put good cards in there. Only put good cards in there and maximize your consistency, right? right? So, uh, um, so one, one, uh, well, I have a history playing Netrunner. Leo has a history playing Magic. I don't know about Magic, but in Netrunner, there is no maximum deck size. And a lot of the traps that newer players will fall into, they'll just go, aha, I'll just put all the good cards in my deck. Y- you can do that. Yeah, same with Magic. But there's, your deck, there's no maximum deck size, too. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just going to throw every good card in here. Right. Yeah, you can d- you can do that, but your deck is very inconsistent, right? Because then when you draw a card, you're drawing one of 100 cards as opposed to one of 60 or one of 30 or whatever, whatever the minimum deck size is. So in Slay the Spire, when you're getting a lot of those early round cards, if none of them specifically works with your intended synergy, a lot of the times it's just better to pass those by. Just be like, no, I'm not taking any cards, actually. Because then later on, if your deck size is still really small and you start adding the good cards, you can consistently draw into those good cards like every single turn. Okay, so if you can pass, then that makes it a little bit better. But then it just makes it you like... You didn't realize you could pass? No. Yeah, you just hit B and be like, no, I'm done. I'm good. I'm, I don't want any of these. I'm I good. didn't try that, but that 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 <laughs> okay. makes the point a little bit better towards Slay the Spire, but still right. annoying that you have to go through that whole process like... 
I just wish I could just get the deck I want and just start like playing the deck I want. Like, well, that's the other thing. The deck. That's the other thing that's so good. Um, so I, John and I had uh, whatever pre-show conversation about Slay the Spire, and John's like, I, I was talking about doing the like um, normal runs of Slay the Spire, and John's like, oh, I haven't even done that in a while. I'm like, excuse me, what? And he's like, oh, like the daily challenge, like that's where it's at, man. I'm like, oh, the daily challenge. Yeah, I mean, I've done a couple of those. Like, I haven't even... So I did uh, some of the daily challenges, and uh, one of them, I think it was two days ago or three days ago, was exactly what you're describing, Leo, where the beginning of the run, you do a 20-card draft. Uh, And, like, you can start building your strategy, like, before you even start the run, which was really fun. I enjoyed that. that By far, by by the way, for me, that was probably the least fun of all the daily challenges I've done. Oh, really? The the draft one? Yeah, because I had to put a lot of thought in the beginning. And I'm like, no. (laughs) I want to break the game. There you go. Different strokes for different I do like magic drafts quite a bit, so I might like that. Yeah. But, like, so much of what Slay the Spire, like... Ah, I, I really think this game is very smart because it, it cuts directly to like the core of what makes card games interesting to me. And that is like a, in the late game, like optimizing your turn, your optimal turn order, your play order. Uh, and that works so well in slay the spire because in the late game, you have so many of these like permanent add-ons and so many cards that combo in ridiculous ways oh, yeah. that like do replicating that in a physical environment is not realistic just because of the amount of rules and the amount of like things you have to remember, like the amount of accounting and bookkeeping that the a video game can just do automatically for you uh, makes that sort of play very fun because you have to, you have to, your brain when you're, deciding your optimal turn order, your brain has to take into account all these different like combinations and impossible strategies and stuff. I'm going to chime in and agree with that because now you get to think about the bigger picture as opposed to like micromanaging the damage numbers and health numbers and interactions and all that stuff. Yeah. And the other thing is like (sighs) towards the end of when I was playing constructed Netrunner competitively, like (laughs) One of the least interesting things about that became building a deck because my at point. least in at least in Netrunner constructed like when you have a limited card pool where you can pull from anything your like the optimal decks will just rise to the top so like there are in in if you're playing to win in Netrunner there are like I don't know. A handful. Five or six, yeah. uh, five or six, quote unquote, correct decks to play competitively. And if you try to do something weird with like, oh, maybe this combination will work, like this could be a cool thing. Uh, like that is just not as optimal. It just isn't as optimal as, as some of the other like constructed decks. Just, just because of like the internet can can do so. Like so much, like the internet think tank is so powerful because it's just combinations of millions of people playing this game over and over and over again. So like the the optimal strategies come to the top so fast, which is very uninteresting to me when like your possibility space is narrowed down to just a few things. 
See, that, I find that super interesting. <laughs> so okay. so well, my, right. my favorite card games are the ones with the smallest card pool possible. Like, when yeah, I play Magic, yeah. there's different f- formats of Magic. There's There's, like, legacy and vintage that legal cards go all the way back to the 1990s. And then there's all the way yeah. down to, like, standard, which is just the last two expansion sets are legal. All the way down to draft and sealed format where you literally open six booster packs of 15 cards and that's your card pool like of the most current set only so the the more narrow it gets the more fun i have because you know all of the possibilities and the fun comes less from interesting ways to build your deck and more from piloting the deck like challenging so and i, I mean and to be fair this is a this is a, a single player game so that has an inherent disadvantage where I prefer a opponent versus opponent, player versus player. And the g- entertainment comes from I am better at you <laughs> at calculating all the possible, all those intricate things that you have to keep track of at, at doing that. Like I'm better on a, on a, you know, on a, at a percentage, like 60% of the time I'm, I'm better than you at calculating what I'm possibly going to draw out of this deck and what combinations I could possibly make. And even though you know what I'm playing, like you have no choice but to lose. Like, I don't know. I just find that more, I don't know, engaging. Okay. I mean, that's like the like human versus human competitive aspect is just something slight the spire just yes. isn't. It's just yeah, not just, that. I know. That's, it's, it is just yeah, not it's, that. It, nothing you can do about that. But but back to like the card pool thing. Like I, I agree that the, the card pool, I, I like I like a small card pool only because then like if it's a competitive thing where I'm playing with other people, like I, I – I like to have I like to have lots of choices, but not so many choices that like the person I'm playing against can construct something totally broken. But that's where Slay the Spire comes in, right? And does two things really smart. First of all, you're not playing against another human. You're playing against an AI which like telegraphs all of it telegraphs everything it's going to do with like perfect information. And I'm gonna loop back around to that point. But the second thing it does really well is um it, it's a deck builder, right? Like you you have your like you you're, you're you're constantly making choices about how to build your deck uh, after every round after every time you go to the shop or whatever like you're always making choices on how to like optimize that deck. I, I, I like that process, but um, playing against the ultimate optimized version of that in a constructed format is not interesting to me. <laughs> Like, I like all of the crazy possibilities that uh, uh, Slay the Spire, like, in its roguelike form, allows. Yeah, I can see that. The other point I wanted to make is I think that the information telegraphing, so on every turn, all the enemies in Slay the Spire tell you exactly what they're going to do. Like, well, uh, to a certain degree, they, they tell you mostly what they're going to do. Like, this enemy is going to block. This enemy is going to hit for 10 damage. This enemy is going to inflict a status effect. Um, and this is something I've seen... Um, this is something I've seen in... Uh, 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 Into the Breach did this with, like, perfect information transparency. And it made... Like, taking the randomness out of that made for a really interesting strategy game. Because if you know what the opponent is going to do, it's all about responding to that and, like, mitigating what they, what what the opponent is going to do rather than, like guessing and like like maybe this will work like no no no. this is exactly what is going to happen and you need to have a plan for 
Like, okay, this enemy is going to do 10 damage and you only have nine health. Like, what can you do? Can you, you know, uh, uh, block some of their incoming damage? Can you recover some health? Can you kill the enemy before he kills you? Um, which, like, once you know ex- that perfect information, it makes, like, finding the solution to that puzzle really satisfying, if there is a solution. I mean, sometimes there just isn't. But as opposed to, like, oh, you can't tell what the enemy's going to do, so you don't know, so you're buffing your character, and then he just kills you on the next turn, you know? Uh, I, I think the information transparency was a really smart move for Slight Aspire. Yeah, I, so that's another part that I can imagine a lot of people like. There are times where I thought that was a really cool way to strategize, like what I'm going to do next. But So mm-hmm. I don't think it was bad. But I do think it would be a little bit more interesting not knowing, just because I enjoy like variants in card games. A lot of people don't. But like okay. I like, mm-hmm. I like playing to my outs more than I like like knowing exactly what my opponent is gonna do. What what does that like, mean? Like um, like let's say I just you know I don't know exactly what my opponent is gonna do next turn. You know whether they're gonna attack or just take a, a turn to defend or whatever. And then I have mm-hmm. two options. Like I have attack for six now or take a turn offline and attack for 12 next turn or, you know, I don't know. I'm trying, I'm making up something, but um, if I know that I'm likely to draw a card that will like double my damage and kill my opponent, I might elect to wait Mm -hmm. a turn uh, for the potential of like outright killing them versus attacking Mm -hmm. this turn and only doing minimal damage or something. I don't know. Some, some sort Mm -hmm. of situation like that where you're, you're thinking about what you're likely to draw like statistically and whether that can be beneficial to like hold your cards until that turn, you know, like, but I like the the danger of that. Like I, I like the not knowing whether that's a, a good move or not. <laughs> and then like the payoff of, Oh, I, I made the right decision blindly, you know, I suppose, but I, I don't, I think that would be less satisfying in a game where you're just playing against AI than like playing. Yes. against Yes. No. Yeah. I guess all my problems come stem from the fact that we're playing against AI. <laughs> <laughs> all right so if there was a pvp slay the spire leo's on board oh that would be really good yeah. i mean just imagine imagine that you're playing slay the spire slayers okay yeah it's like a, a spin-off of slay the spires uh-huh. where you both choose one of the two three characters yep. pre-build like just put a bunch of your favorite cards for that character in your deck and then just face off mm-hmm. poison dude versus electro dude go yeah yeah, but I, I think the thing that would make that interesting is having a card draft beforehand. Okay, fine. We'll do that. Because <laughs> then you're taking the deck builder out of it. Like, what is that game if you're not building a deck? Like, I don't, I don't, it's just, like, it's, you just, like, I just, I don't like building decks. I just like playing with them. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's just how I am. All right. Like, even in, like, no matter what the card, like, I just, I mean, in Magic, like, so we have, so it's, it's a one-on-one card game, mm-hmm. but you have teams of people who who all work together to try to, you know, put together the, the deck that in the in in the meta, like what's out there, what's likely to be all the other decks, you know, the best like synergies and everything. Usually in a team of people, you have like a handful of guys who are really good at building decks yep. and then they build a deck that everyone else takes the tournament and goes with it. I am not one of those two guys who's trying to build <laughs> a really cool deck. I just want you to hand me the deck oh, that you think is good no. and I want to go pilot it to the best of my ability and beat everybody else. I think that's a symptom of you playing magic for so long and being so competitive that you've like, 
you've intentionally narrowed down to playing optimally with the best deck in the meta yeah. at the current time, you know? I mean, that's probably true. But I, I mean, the same with Slay the Spire. Like, I just want, I don't, I, I just want to play, the, uh, I don't know if it's the best deck or just, just, I don't know. <laughs> there is no best deck. It's a deck builder. Your there, choices no, are random. Like, I just want a constructed deck and then just go. You want to play Magic play the, the Gathering. With... I know. You just want to play Magic no, the Gathering. No, I would love to play Slay the Spire <laughs> starting at level three, put uh, like 40 cards in there that are really good, and then just go. Well, oh, okay. Well, there is a card draft, but uh, actually, um, the daily the daily challenge, was it today or yesterday, was you start, you start with a 40-card deck that is just chaos, and you have to like manage your chaos deck. Uh, which I also found to be really, really fun because it almost yeah, sounds interesting. it almost took the deck building out of it. It was like yes, um, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. It was it was interesting. It was an interesting challenge because like the forty card deck that you start with is definitely not optimal. Uh, so right. like just figuring out, it, yeah, it, it's a very Leo challenge because it's it's all about piloting. It's all about oh god, how do I that's it? How do I mitigate this insane uh, garbage deck that I have here? Which, which was, I mean, I enjoy that part of the game too. I enjoy figuring out the optimal turn, but I also enjoy the puzzle of how do I put put these two things together that are very broken, like um, yeah, uh, like figuring out that like there, God, there's so many fun. Like really, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me like one of your most fun synergies. Like, um, what's one of the most so cool things you? Put the very together? okay. The very first time I played the game, I got a card early that says you can upgrade this card any number of times. I was like, okay, cool. So then I just That's kept, I just kept upgrading it over and over and over again. And towards the end of the game, it did like fifty damage. And then nice. I started realizing, like, oh, I want this card in my hand as much as possible. So then it was all about keeping my deck really small, drawing lots of cards, and um, then I started getting powers that said, like, uh, the next card you play is played three times, which was stupid, because then I could do, like, 50 times three damage, and then it was like, um, I could could start duplicate. I had a card that, like, duplicate, pick a card, and you can duplicate it. So uh, I would, like, duplicate it, and then it was like, play this three times, and then, like, I could play the other one, and then I could play the other one again. So I was doing, like... 250 damage a turn or some broken bullshit. Um, That's pretty good. Uh, or some of the other ones. Oh, uh, Poison's really broken uh, once you start. Yes, that's, that's my best like run was just like piling on Poison on people. Yep. My, my, start, favorite, my favorite synergy is the, the guy with the sentries. Yep. He yep. has a card called Turbo, which gives you uh, three energy. Uh-huh. And there's another card called Overclock, which lets you draw. So if you have a right number of those cards, you can infinitely draw and infinitely gain energy and then apply, yep. like, apply all those cards. Like, yep. You can win turn one every single round. Yeah. And yeah, I played this game during early access. And back then, the game had no way to countering that. So it was just completely busted. And it was like, it got to the point where like, if you knew about that, you, you like it would be unfun to do. Um, yeah. But I, I agree with you. But I think discovering that is what's fun like once you know that it's a thing it's not that fun uh but like the the developer took that mechanic and Uh built a boss around not playing all your cards turn one so there's like a boss in the game yes 
That, that it did. It uh, used to be there. The, it, the time winder boss. Yes, you can only yes, take fifteen cards that, in a turn. That is my favorite fucking boss. Uh, I I, I played him a couple times recently. Um, he uh, twelve. He, he's twelve cards now. Oh, I don't know 12. what it was. Now it's twelve. And the thing this make the thing that makes this boss brilliant is the number does not reset uh, turn to turn. So what oh, that yeah, means, that's right. That, that wasn't not that come before either. Yeah, so if you play <laughs> if you play six cards, so the number is 12. If you play six cards your first turn, end your turn, start your next turn, play another six cards, even if you have more cards and more energy to spend, it immediately ends your turn. So it like really makes optimizing your turn very important because then it's like, okay, which are like how do I play six cards in the correct order that maximizes my damage? And like solving that puzzle with a deck that is very complicated is very satisfying. At least it is to me. Uh, yeah. And it's also very frustrating because if you didn't build your deck with damage in mind, like yeah. you're by habit going to have to draw energy and play draw cards. Yeah. And that's going to, it's going to continue. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the time wire, what a time rewinder time warden. What I, what's he called the time warden? Maybe. The, the Time Warden definitely invalidates certain types of decks because if you have a deck that relies on just like straight up card draw and just playing a fuck ton of cards per turn, which is definitely a strategy. Like you can you can just get cards that give you lots of card draw and then um, you can combine. Like I had a deck like that where I had a, a, like cards that just drew more cards and then I had an artifact that was like gain one energy every time you play five cards or something like that. Uh, so I had cards that gave me more cards for like zero cost, and then I had a lot of low cost cards, and then I just kept playing low cost cards and kept getting more energy. And Time Warden fucking invalidates that deck. Like you, you're not going to beat Time Warden with that deck. Uh, exactly. You have to you have to be able to dish out a lot of damage in like six, seven, eight cards or something like that. <laughs> I think uh, he's only the third Spire boss, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the only time I've ever encountered him is on level three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I loved I loved playing against that boss. Like, once I know that boss is a thing, uh, like, I don't know. He was my favorite boss to encounter on the third level. I also love... Because, uh, like, even... Like, you mentioned, like, okay, once you know this unfun strategy... Like, once you know the strategy is a thing, it kind of makes the game unfun. Even if you know that there are these broken optimal strategies, like the nature of the roguelike like random random cards and everything like you kind of have to just roll with whatever the game gives you because like sometimes even if you know some of the optimal strategies sometimes you're just not getting the cards that work in those strategies you just kind of have to roll with the game's punches and just like build the deck the game gives you sometimes which yeah, I so also- that was my problem that i mentioned in the beginning right because even mm-hmm. if you skip the the selection of cards mm-hmm. You can only do that so much. And you right, right, right. Boss. Yeah, no, you can only do that so much before you're just playing with your shitty starting deck, and then you're like, yeah. ah, because like, yeah, yeah the, the, like the level one boss is not really that hard, but he's the first good gatekeeper because you have to have like at least a mediocre deck to take down the level one boss. Uh, right. Because if you go up against him with the, the starting deck, you're going to get destroyed. So you have to have at least some, you know, some semblance of starting to break the game. Uh, when you encounter him, he he is the uh, he is the have you figured out any good strategies gatekeeper? Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else. Anything else would slay the spire? I just like all the relics. The relics are so much fun. 
Yeah. Uh, yes. So the relics, uh, what John's referring to, the relics are permanent buffs to your character. And there are a fucking shitload of relics in this game. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've played this, I God, I don't know. I'm probably getting close to like 30 runs maybe. And I keep consistently encountering new relics that I've oh, not yeah. yet seen. I'm like, Oh, Whoa, that's, and that, that God, and that's what makes this game so fun. You pick up a relic and you're like, Oh, Whoa. And then it like forces you to reconsider the card pool because you know, uh, between thirty, between twenty and thirty runs, you start to get more or less comfortable with the card pool for the three various characters, right? Um, and the rel- like when you pick up a relic and it does something bonkers, like it forces you to reconsider the card pool. Like, oh shit! Like these cards that I previously thought were useless are now like amazing. Like, um, I don't know. Like a lot of the early cards that like give you block are not really that good. Like, if you're playing the red character, are not really that good, but then you can get... uh, Then you can get, like, the relics that are, like, um, anytime you play uh, three cards, gain a block, or, like, anytime you you play... Or, like, you you begin a round with one or two dexterity or something like that, which increases your block. Um, And that combos really well with the cards that say, like, uh, do damage equal to your block, or... Oh yeah, one of the times, one of the times I beat the game, I had a relic that said uh, your block is not lost at the end of each round. Um, that was broken. That turns out that's broken because uh, you can um, you can get like a good amount of block, then double it, and then you're just invincible for the rest of the game. Because <laughs> uh, I've found at least by the time I had I got like I don't know ten block, twenty block, you double that, you're at forty block. You play some attack cards, you reshuffle your deck, you get the double again, then you're like at 80 block. Like, I, I basically just built a character that was invincible. Uh, so I had like a, uh, a heavy defense deck that I was able to uh, win with, even though I didn't have that great of offense. It took forever, but uh, uh, like you could just never damage my character. I think they're starting to introduce enemies with Pierce. I think I encountered one. Oh, that's, that's I- interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure, but yeah, the the game um the game's really fun, and the relics change too over time. Like, there's uh, event based relics that you can only get during certain uh game, like time uh, events. And uh, yeah, I'm noticing new ones like new ones I haven't seen from like years ago from like last year. I you know that I've never played with before. So yeah, um, I don't know. It's a good game. It is. <laughs> it's not Magic the Gathering, but it's a good game. No, yeah. yeah, it's not. It is. It is a decent game. It's not Magic the Gathering, but uh, if you can find a Slay the, Sp- Slay the Spire versus edition, I think you'll just have even more fun playing that. <laughs> yeah, maybe I think that's just what a traditional deck building game is, like a physical deck building game, though. I just feel like at that point, just play Magic. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of where I <laughs> that's left what off. I mean. That's my point. That's my point. That's kind of where I left. It's not off. magic, Leo. This game is not magic. Sorry, it just isn't. Uh, it's it's good. Uh, and by the time you're hearing our voices in your ears, it's probably available on Nintendo Switch, which is probably the perfect platform for that. Uh, yeah, I'll like, tell you what. Seems... I will definitely be picking it up on the Switch. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm very like, excited to play oh, it on Switch. Oh wow. Having having a portable version of this where I can oh, yeah. do um, shorter playthroughs, yes. uh, like oh, I have like you know, 
15 minutes to do whatever. Let me just uh, let me get a run or finish a run. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Switch seems really good for Slate. I think it's perfect for that. So on to our top five. Our top five today is our top five favorite card games. Well, fancy that. Uh, and we left this pretty open. So this is uh, digital card games, physical card games, anything that has cards and is a game. It's a card game. Uh, John, why don't you go first? All right. So number five for me, I took this list pretty seriously. Um, Ooh. Uh, but more like because I'm a casual player, seriously, and not because uh-huh. I'm a, a card game aficionado, serious. Uh-huh. So my number five is is Leo's favorite, probably. Oh, it's uh, Magic: The Gathering. Ah, it's pretty low on the list, okay. but it's all right. <laughs> So yeah, that goes into my uh, preface about not being a super serious card game player, but uh-huh. uh, I owe it to Leo for getting me into Magic the Gathering. He uh, showed me the ropes. He took me to some uh, drafting nights. And uh, yeah, the game's really fun. Um, I never got hardcore into it, but I'm always down to play it, even just casually or you know, play testing a deck for someone. Or I'm going to hold know. you to that, John. <laughs> there you go. All right. Magic classic my number five is uh a more recent card game uh based uh, in the star wars universe it is star wars destiny uh star wars destiny is a card and dice game mm-hmm. uh which uh, you would think at first glance would be a disaster having the randomness of both cards and dice uh but um it it, it really doesn't turn out in uh that way uh a lot of the rules of destiny allow you to manipulate the dice and um i don't know uh the randomness doesn't whatever interfere with uh, a a very fun game it's like Um, it's like calculated randomness yeah and a lot of a lot of the way you roll the dice in this game um uh goes back to like what i like uh, about late game slay the spire where you have a very complicated well not very complicated but a moderately complicated set of dice that is out on the table and you're like okay what's my optimal play here like do i need to like block do i need to attack my opponent do i need to like because there are cards in this game that let you manipulate the opponent's dice like should I re-roll my dice? Should I re-roll my opponent's dice? And, like, figuring out, like... Because uh, it's six-sided dice, so, like, you're all also, like, doing odds in your head. You're like, okay, I have a one-in-six chance of, like, uh, rolling something that'll kill myself, but, like, I have a two... Like, I have a one-in-three chance of defeating my opponent or something. It, it, it's a lot of... Um, I don't know. It's a lot of doing that strategic math... Uh, and that is what I enjoy most about uh, Star Wars Destiny. And also, it's the Star Wars license. So, I mean, come on. Star Wars, guys. I mean, come on. Um, okay, my number five uh, goes to a little game called Triple Triad, um, also known as the Final Fantasy VIII <laughs> card game. Okay, yeah. No, it's a card game, yeah. That is a great card game the triple triad card game is found as a sub game a mini game within final fantasy 8 one of the greatest final fantasy jrpgs ever released Uh. um and it's basically like you can collect cards by 
you know, purchase. I don't remember exactly how you get cards. You can, you can. There's a skill you can use to turn monsters into cards and stuff, right? And um, I don't know. You, however, you get cards. You walk around hitting a certain key on uh, characters you can normally talk to, and instead you challenge them to a game of cards. And Triple Triad was like a three by three, um, you know, like a square, like playing space. And each player and would it, play down. A, it's five five by five, right? Oh, I thought it was. Uh, it's definitely five by five. Okay, it's some sort of square of squares, and. Um, and, and each card would have some like numbers in the corner. And if you place a certain card next to a certain card, it, the numbers would beat the card next to it. You would like take over that card on the board. And the agenda, like the end game was just to control most of the board. Uh, it made for some really interesting kind of like tic-tac-toe feel where, Oh, fuck uh, me. It, it's, it's, it's definitely three by three. Sorry. Oh, Go yeah. ahead. Oh, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and you could always have all sorts of combos where like, if you if you placed a card that beat, you know, a card on either side of it, like with numbers, it could like take them both, you know, and there'd be chain reactions and all these cool rules that, you know, you could have a couple of kind of, you can build your deck in a certain way that will just like, you know, people, someone with like a super awesome character full deck, like you could still kick their ass with some combos. So it was really cool. Um, it was kind of difficult, but it was very enjoyable. And I spent probably way too many hours playing the card game instead of the actual Final Fantasy game. Yeah, I've uh, I've come around on Triple Triad. I, I would have told you in the past that Tetra Master is where it's at, but uh, I've 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 kind of cooled on Tetra Master a little bit. Uh, Triple Triad is is definitely better than Tetra Master. It's where it's at. Yeah, yeah. I'm currently playing through FFA. I have not tried the card game yet, so oh, I guess I'll, I'll, get, I'll give it a go. Uh, number four for me is a game in the same kind of context as Triple Triad. It's but in uh, the Witcher context, probably. It, oh, you guessed it right, Leo. It's oh. Gwent. Oh, yeah. Nice. So, uh, you know, Gwent I think is like kind of a big surprise for Witcher fans because like uh, it just shows up in Witcher Three and it ends up being like a really good card game on its own. Mm-hmm. And I don't know um, how how the developer came. Like, I know they implemented it in the game, but. I'm not sure if they were expecting it to be such like a popular fanfare, um, but there is a standalone Gwent game now, and I haven't yet to play it. But I remember having a lot of fun in uh, The Witcher Three, just playing random NPCs and like kicking their ass and taking their cards and money and, and shit. And I thought it was, uh, it was uh, a cool, Gwent, cool little mini game. Gwent was so popular that they actually ended up releasing uh, it as a like a standalone game. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, John, next time you want to come over, I have a physical Gwent set if you want to play some Gwent, man. Oh, mm. snap. Let's play some we can, we can play some PvP Gwent. I oh, got dude. I got my I got my cards. Oh, man. Yeah, let's, I'm definitely interested. Let's do that. All right. Um, my number four is a uh, cooperative adventure game uh, that is also a deck builder. Um, it is Arkham Horror the Card Game. Now... Um, don't get this confused with Arkham Horror, the board game. Arkham Horror, the board game is a piece of shit. Okay. Arkham Horror, the card game is great. Uh, so <laughs> it takes place in, um, the city of Arkham, which is, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's in the Lovecraft world. It's, it's all of, uh, the Lovecraft mythos. 
So there's all these, you know, unknowable horrors and all of these ancient, you know, uh, ancient monsters and uh, that sort of thing. But the thing that makes it cool and interesting is it's a uh, cooperative game. So uh, you and your friend build your deck and your deck is, you know, it's a character and your character has special abilities. And when you build your deck, you're trying to pick cards that synergize with that character's ability. But then you go on an adventure. Um, so uh, like the locations are cards and um, the like events are cards. So like everything, it's all card based. So you have a deck that tells you like what monsters you encounter at what locations there is a deck that like is the story deck so like you flip a card and it's like you and your friend go to this place and then you encounter this and this and this and then there's like a deck that tells you like um like how to advance the scenario so there's like certain um objectives you have to accomplish and then there's a deck that like is the bad thing so it's like uh if you you know if you if if you wait 10 turns then you've lost or something like that and then depending on the decisions you make whether you win whether you lose uh these are all consequences that like um go into play and and uh, by the way this is a campaign game so it takes place over like multiple sessions so like um in between rounds like whether you win, whether you won, whether you lost, and depending on some of the decisions you made, you can get experience points, you can upgrade your deck, maybe something terrible happened to you in the last scenario and you have like um, like permanent trauma, that is represented by a card that's now in your deck. And that like maybe in the middle of the next mission, you draw into that trauma from the first mission or something like that. Oh, I kind of um, like that. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting and fun idea. Arkham Horror, the card game. I would have thought that was, like, Batman-related. Oh, like the city of Arkham. No. Well, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Ar- this is Lovecraft's Arkham, yeah. not D- yeah. DC's Arkham. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Where are we? Number four? My yes. number four sounds weird, but um, it is Uno, the classic card game. Uh but specifically Uno with advanced rules. Okay, you need to. I you need to tell me what these advanced rules are. I played a game of Uno like a couple months ago. Uh, it was one of the worst experience. Like I forgot how fucking awful Uno is. It's so. What are <laughs> what are these what are these advanced rules? Okay, uh, so advanced rules Uno. I have a printout. I can I can send your way. Okay, uh, I was introduced right. to this by a friend, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, James, you know, uh, yeah. Dania. And, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah uh, we went over how she said, you want to play some Uno? I'm like, sure. You know, it's kind of a cute game. Somewhere similar to Slay the Spire. Like, it's pretty basic. Um, <laughs> Fuck off. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but, uh, no, Slay the Spire is not, it's not that bad. But she, you know, we played like a regular game of Uno. And she's like, okay, here's the advanced rules. Like, there's a list of rules that aren't a part of the Uno basic rules, but like they'll add things like matching. So if you have the same color card that someone else just played in your hand, you can very quickly say match from like out of turn, like just completely out of nowhere, like like an instant in magic and like get rid of like cards that match on the color or the number uh, or like, and then you can play like blue fives. And if anyone at any point plays a blue five, everyone has to smack the deck, like the pile of cards. And the last person to smack, like has to draw five cards. 
Like, hmm. there's all sorts of just kind of okay. goofy, like, really interesting rules. All right. Um, more, more of a party game, then. I mean, yeah, it's it's it makes it a little bit more challenging, though. Yeah, it's definitely some more party right. rules and stuff, too. Yeah. But it makes it really challenging. And there was some, like, strategy, too, because there was a lot of, like, weird matching rules where you can just get, like, you just dump, like, five cards out of your hand through these advanced rules and very quickly win the game. Yeah. So. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Uno sucks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, man. It's it's Slay the Spire is way better than Uno. I can't believe you even said that. <laughs> I'm still mad at you. All right. My number two, or or I guess we're on number three. Sorry. Uh, I lost count there. Uh, my number three is a game James has already mentioned, and it's uh, yeah. Star Wars Destiny. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's really fun. Um, I think it's... Uh, and I and I mean that just it's just a good card game, not necessarily like Star Wars definitely adds to like why it's fun. But I think on its own, it's pretty. It's uh, the rules are pretty fun and it's surprisingly balanced. Uh, although I think that Ray deck that we always play with is like yeah. something else. <laughs> oh, I, I've I've tweaked the uh, the Kylo deck. It's 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 a little more on par now. Yeah, that last time that we played with the Kylo yeah. deck, it's it's a little bit better. It's a little, yeah, like yeah. you said, a little more balanced. But um, yeah, yeah, uh, I. It's uh, I think it's somewhere in between like a casual game and Magic the Gathering because yeah, uh, you definitely have that variation where you get to you know build a, a competitive deck, but it's not like so crazy out there that you have to follow like all the streams and all the websites yeah. and yeah, keep on top of it. So yeah. I think it's a little weird. I'm I'm gonna be critical of how many card games you're going to put above Magic the Gathering in your lists. And, I mean, I feel like Star Wars Destiny is a very good game. Don't get me wrong, but uh-huh. really? Like, number three better than Magic number five? I mean, I don't know. That's that's, that's a stretch, John. <laughs> I'm well, sorry what makes Magic you? so good? No, like, no. What? I, don't... I mean, no. We all have our own opinion. That's fine. I'm, it's fine and interesting. That's all. Uh, my number three is a game we just spent a half hour talking about, Slay the Spire. Uh, it is, uh, my favorite deck building game. I have not played a deck building game that has brought me, uh, the same amount of joy in puzzle solving in both building the decks and like piloting the deck as Slay the Spire. Um, and I've played a decent amount of deck building games. This, this, I, and I think this has such a big advantage in being a video game because like I said before, it can do all of that accounting and all the bookkeeping. So it's free to just add just tons and tons of complexity, just tons and tons of ridiculous rules uh, that all stack on each other because the game can do all of that bookkeeping. Uh, uh, and like, it's up to you to like strategically think through like what becomes your optimal play in that uh, case. Anyway, uh, we spent a half hour talking about it, so uh, don't need to talk too much more about it. Slay the Spire is good. Yeah, it's good. Um, my number three goes to the World of Warcraft trading card game, WoW TCG. Not to be confused with a popular digital card game based on the World of Warcraft called Hearthstone. Mm -hmm. This is the WoW TCG physical card game that, uh, that Blizzard actually discontinued upon release of Hearthstone, which is an unfortunate right. thing, because WoW TCG was awesome. It was, uh, first of all, a physical game, which I usually tend to like a little bit more. Um, it featured such cool things that Hearthstone doesn't have, such as instant 
speed reaction spells that you can like instantly play when uh, your opponent does something. You can like play this card out of your hand in response. It had quests, which mm-hmm. were cards that you could play face down as a resource, but then later on you could turn it over and complete some sort of action uh, to complete the quest mm-hmm. and get some sort of reward. Uh, and then it had your basic combat with creatures and like your hero, just like Hearthstone has. So it's basically everything Hearthstone is with the addition of uh, two different types of uh, mechanics that made it even better. So I have no idea why the hell they discontinued it because it was a great game. Uh, why do you prefer physical games to digital games? Um, well, that's just, I guess, a matter of preference. I just like the social aspect of like being at a, at okay. a table with someone, you know? True. Nothing in, I don't, don't a lot of people... I was going to say, don't a lot of people complain about business models of digital card games where you can't trade? Yes, or... yes, yes. <laughs> I was just curious what Leo's reasoning was. Yeah, that, I mean, I think that's mostly it. I think it's just kind of like the, you know, the tabletop aspect, I think, is what I like about it. I yeah. Well, yeah. there's also, there's I, also I like, something I like, to be said about, like, uh, and I'll get to poker in a little bit, but, like, there's... I there's Spoilers! Yeah. Um, but there's, like, an aspect of card games that I like where it's, like, bluffing and reading your opponent, too. Yeah. Um, and yep. you kind of don't get that even in digital poker, but yeah. in digital card games. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So uh, my number two <laughs> uh, is a is a game that I haven't played that much of, but I like instantly fell in love with it when I played it. Uh, it's a game called Duelist, and uh, oh yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I haven't played it in some time, but I'm excited mm-hmm. to try it maybe uh, after this podcast or something. But uh, yeah, uh, the, like I think one of the things that stood out over like other TCG or other digital games, um, card games, is the grid system in that game. Yep. Where you yep. play like it plays almost like chess in a way. So you got a bit more tactics going on than just straight up resource management or uh, play order or deck building straight. You know. There's a, there's a little bit more of a depth to it in that regard. Yeah, so. it's like a tactical strategy game mixed with a card game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because you're like, once you play cards, well, in some instances, once you be, play cards, they become uh, units on a grid that you control, like in a tactical strategy game. So it's like a weird merger of those two things. Uh, yeah, that game's yeah. always looked very interesting to me. I've never actually played it, but i got to give it a go. It is it is good. I I played a decent amount of Duelist too. I liked it. Um it did not make my list though. Uh I honestly forgot about it. I don't <laughs> think even if I even if I did have it in my brain, I don't think it would make the list. Um my number 2 is a traditional card game uh that you can play with like a standard deck of cards almost. Um this is a uh so a standard deck of cards is usually um 52 cards, uh, and sometimes you have two jokers. Uh, The difference with this game is you have to have 52 cards and eight jokers, uh, which is, um, and you have to have jokers of two different color. So you have to have four red or four black jokers, which like most normal deck of cards come with like a red joker and a black joker. So if you just combine four decks of cards together, you can usually get eight jokers. Anyway, uh, this card game is called Wizards. Uh, have I played this with either of I've you guys? I've heard you talk about this no. game, I think. Oh, it's so good. It just, it boils down, <laughs> like, it boils down everything that is good about, like, uh, a standard card game. So, um, it, it is very, it is very traditional card game in that there is, like, um, there's, a, you know, there, there, there's, like, a, 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 
no, there's like a, a a dealer and there's like a turn order and like there is a Trump suit and you have to follow Trump and like you're trying and you're bidding and you're trying to make your bids and all that. So it has a lot of elements of traditional card games. The thing that makes Wizards brilliant is first of all, um, when you bid, a lot of the traps that um, some traditional card games I've played fall into is that um, when you're bidding to make a hand, uh, only like only the person who won the bid is the person who is like trying to make the points and like everyone else is trying to fuck up the person who made their bid. The thing that is brilliant about Wizards is that everyone bids and everyone has to make exactly what they bid. So if I bid that I'm going to make two hands, I have to make exactly two hands. I can't make one hand. I can't make three hands. I have to make two hands or two tricks or whatever you want to call them. Um, uh, which is really good because then like it sort of m- mitigates a little bit of the randomness of like, oh, I just have a shit hand of cards this turn. I can't really bid aggressively. Like I can't, I, I'm not going to be able, this is going to be a boring turn because my cards are shitty. Like, no, then you still have to bid really low. You still have to bid a zero or a one or whatever. And you have to make sure that you make zero or one. The other thing that makes Wizards interesting is the, is the Jokers. So there are uh, four, whatever, red jokers and four black jokers. The red, if you play with traditional, because you can actually buy wizards. I mean, you can play this with a normal deck of cards, like I said, with the jokers. Or you can uh, buy like a pre-made wizards deck. And in the pre-made wizards deck, the jokers are called wizards. And uh, I can't remember what the other ones are. Sources. Actually, I don't know. It's like wizards and wizards and poops or something. I don't wizards know. Wizards and witches. Um, so, like, the wizards or, like, whatever you want to call them, the wizards or the red jokers or whatever, always win the hand, no matter what. No matter if somebody trumps it, no matter if somebody, you know, no matter what the card is, the wizard always wins. If you play the poop card or the black joker or whatever, that always, always, <laughs> the black joker, that always loses no matter what. Which is really interesting because you can also use the joker's to break suit because in a normal traditional card game, you always have to follow suit, but you can use the jokers to break suit. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's also, also you have to, because everyone has to make exactly what they bid. You have to pay attention to what everyone bids and how everyone is playing because you have to take into account like what cards have been played and what happened, which is, I know a very traditional card game thing. Uh, I don't know. It's it's good. It's we so should, good. We it should is find my... a way to play online blizzards with like a tabletop yeah. simulator or something. Uh, uh, maybe this. it is definitely it's it's definitely a game best played in person because you have to do a lot of bidding and talking and stuff. All right, next um, time I'm in town, let's try that. Definitely, it is my favorite traditional style card game, Wizards. All right, uh, my number two. You love it. You know I love it. It's a great game. It's called Magic the Gathering. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily the best uh, card game there is uh, out there, like trading card game, you know, just it, but it definitely is the one that fathered them all, right? It was before definitely, Pokemons yeah. and the Yu Gi Oh's and the Netrunners and the, you know, whatever kids are playing these days. It started all. Mm. It was, it was mm-hmm. created by a mathematician and a god among men. Uh, I don't know. I'm 
talking out of my ass now, but okay, <laughs> Magic is like uh, if you've never played it, it's like a mix between poker and chess. It has like the variance and randomness of poker and like playing to your outs and what's in your deck, uh, but it has like kind of the strategy of chess and each individual card instead of a chess piece has a, its own set of rules. Um, you know, but I guess it's like playing chess with an unlimited amount of, you know, chess pieces and you get to just build your own chess set, uh, uh out of whatever cards you put together. Cause you basically pre-construct a deck and, uh, <laughs> so basically not like chess at all. I mean, it's like, it's like the same feeling chess gives you like that strategy uh, okay okay, feeling. okay 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 because that's the that's the two different types of strategy to me that there is in life it's like the tactile strategy like chess and then like the the almost like like uh gambling <laughs> strategy like of poker like you know like strategic strategy uh i mean I mean, not, not strategic strategy. As opposed to... That real good strategic no. strategy. <laughs> not strategic strategy. I meant, I meant statistical strategy. <laughs> mm, okay. Where you're playing mm, to... Like playing the odds. The odds, right. Playing the odds. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I'm sick, people. Okay, so my brain is a little muddled. <laughs> All right, Anyway, uh, yeah, if you haven't played Magic, you're living under a shell. You should go play it. There's kids right. who are like five years old that are playing Magic, like... And there's grown men, fifty six years old, who play it. So it's it's amazing. It's a great game. Yeah, I I gotta say, when you took me to my first Magic event, I didn't expect such a wide range of people. Like, oh yeah, all you know, young and old alike. So. Brings everyone together. Yeah, sons and dads were playing together. I'm like, oh my god, that's all. That's awesome. So yeah, yeah. Uh, my number one. It's now I feel bad because my number one isn't as passionate as Leo's, but. Uh, it's a hard game. Two, well, we oh, we don't know two. what number Leo's number one is. Yeah, that was only his number two. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. My my number one's not even as passionate as Leo's number two. Oh. All right. Uh, my number one is uh, a is a famous game. I would say it's uh, played in casinos everywhere. Uh, it's blackjack, and uh, yes, yeah, blackjack. Uh, uh, we're we're going to Vegas soon, so I think I'm going to. We try are to play going some, to Vegas. Try to play some, to play black, some blackjack. blackjack there. Yeah, why not? <laughs> what makes you like blackjack so much? <laughs> it's um, your number one the, choice. It's it's that simple. is like, yeah, that is. I was just about to say that is like low. Well, it's like medium complexity, low strategy. I would say it's low everything. It's really yeah, simple. No, it's very simple. It's a yeah. very simple game. Yeah, that's why, why like it's it? so. That's why it's so amazing. Like all the. All, all the like high risk you can take without like the complexity involved, like it's all just like uh, I don't know. It's just it, what you see is what you get. It's kind of like you know. I gotta, I gotta, I, I gotta to give it. it to you, John. I was really wondering what how your list was gonna go, starting from number five, yeah. Magic. But now right. it really makes yeah. a lot of sense. Your list just went from <laughs> most complexity to least complexity, so it makes perfect sense. Mm. Duelist is not that least complex. What are you talking about? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Star Wars was in the middle. That was lesser complex, and now Blackjack. Yeah, I guess. I don't. I don't know. I guess you're seeing a Blackjack. What made you? I what Blackjack? <laughs> I never would have guessed Blackjack. I don't know. Well, like I said, I'm not a huge card game player, so uh, I mean, hey, if that's the man what, likes that's Blackjack. The man likes Blackjack. I mean, the I man don't... likes Blackjack. I was just curious for his reasons. I was also curious to see his top five list because I was like. Hmm. I bet John hasn't played quite as many card games as Leo and I have. Yeah. 
Well, you were right. <laughs> yeah. Blackjack. All right. Hey, uh, to be uh, fair, no, I do really like Blackjack a lot. That's a really good game. Uh, I, I mean, I think game. it's just like this element of it too where like you see in all the media and everything and you're like man that guy's a badass for hitting on such a high number like it doesn't you know have he's you, gonna have lose you looked everything into, like that more advanced strategy john of like blackjack like yeah don't you like it's, it's blackjack it's, advanced rules it's it's isn't it no you mean like don't you it's similar to counting <laughs> cards right you gotta you gotta slap I mean, I'm, the I'm deck when <laughs> I'm, I'm talking specifically yes of, of like counting cards and and like actually like beating the game yeah yeah i mean i haven't researched them all all together but i think it's something i'll probably look into you know long before i hit vegas well i mean you're talking about you know when you go to vegas and stuff it's not like you have to be this crazy like they definitely hollywood hollywoodize it um in those movies and stuff but there is definitely like a lot of value in knowing like what the odds are of Right. Whatever other kind of cards are going to come out. Yeah, I mean, if you know, like, both you and the dealer are getting high numbers, con- like, consistently, and then you can count on the next uh, rounds to have lower numbers, and then you can hit mm-hmm. uh, appropriately in order to get closer to 21. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, yeah. like, I feel like that, like, that in itself, like, the fact that anyone can learn that strategy, and it's just a matter of knowing when to hit and not when to hit, and that's literally only your only decision. And that can determine like beating out the dealer or not, and like earning some serious money. Like that—that's—that's yeah. that's particularly why I picked blackjack. As well. have you played blackjack at the tables though? No, I have not. I have not done that. I found when actually playing at the tables, it adds a whole different layer of um, stress because I never really thought about this when playing blackjack like on the computer. But at the tables, the people around you get really pissed off if you hit at the wrong time. Oh yeah, because they're counting um, on that card to be theirs when they hit or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So like they'll, there's like a lot of peer pressure for <laughs> to make sure that you know when to hit and stay and stand. Um, it's pretty interesting. Blackjack. Yeah. All right. Uh, there you go. Best card game, Blackjack. My Best. number one. Uh, my number one card game. You probably already know it. I've endorsed it on this podcast before. If you're a longtime listener, is Android Netrunner, uh, uh, which I did. Uh, sort of shit on during the Slay the Spire segment. I just don't... I played a lot of competitive Netrunner and eventually found that uninteresting. But, like, if you play... (laughs) If you play Netrunner as, like, just, like, a casual kitchen top game, that is where it is at its best. Uh, So, um, uh, overview of Netrunner. Uh, It is a asymmetric competitive card game. So... One person is playing as a hacker. The other one is playing as a corporation. The corporation is uh, has all these computers with like secrets on them, and they're trying to set up firewalls to keep the hacker out. Uh, and the hacker is trying to get into the firewalls to steal the secrets. But the brilliance of Netrunner is that the person playing the corporation always, well, in most cases, plays their cards face down. So it's an element of hidden information. So the server that you're trying to hack into might have corporate secrets or it might have a deadly trap so there's a lot of uh, there, there's definitely an element of bluffing uh if if you enjoy bluffing in your card games but uh it it, it generates a lot of those like uh moment like at the end of the card game where it's like you know you you've built this like huge server with like a gajillion firewalls uh and then you know the winning point was like in the server that had like you know 
antivirus from the 1980s on it and it's just a piece of shit and it's like oh that's actually where i put all this uh, the secret corporate secrets was on the shitty server haha <laughs> tricked you like there's a lot of just like yeah except those tricks of- never worked when i played against you like you always <laughs> knew <laughs> well you know i uh you know maybe i was just reading you man i, I can yeah. i got I, I called your bluff i don't know yeah um did android netrunner it's my favorite card game. It is so much fun to play. Uh, I love it. It, it is it is one of the like handful of games that I never get tired of playing. <laughs> Even though I said I don't like playing it competitively, it is one of the handful of card games. Like just turning, I, I will never turn down like a casual game of Netrunner. Uh, it's like Netrunner Smash. Like I don't know. There's a very wow, small. There. It, there's a very small handful. I will never turn down a game of Smash. Right. But anyway, or, yeah, or Netrunner, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, never, I never get tired of it. Never ever. I'll always play that game. That's definitely speaking. Never highly say of it. never. Yeah, uh, I will never get tired. Let's. I don't know. Let's play Netrunner until we get tired of it. Bring it on. Let's go. Call, let's do it. <laughs> Make me eat my words. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite card game, Leo? My number one favorite card game. As foreshadowed in this episode and last episode, it is not Magic the Gathering, but is in mm. fact mm. Texas Hold'em, poker, mm, poker, whatever ever else you want to mm. call it. But the good old game of Texas Hold'em is the, ver- the variant of poker in which there is a community pool of uh, first three cards and then a fourth and fifth card after a round of p- betting in between. And the player has two cards in his hand, his or her hand, and tries to make a hand of five between what's in the community pool and what's in their in the two cards in their hand. Um, and it's basically typical poker hands, you know, pair, two pair, three of a kind, etc. cetera. Uh, and the whole strategy in that game just is all statistical strategy. It is just playing to your outs. You know that there's X amount of other kings left in the deck, and based on how this other person betted around the table – they're likely to have an ace or a king. And, you know, with this much money in the pot, I have two to one odds that I'm likely to draw. Whatever. It's like a bunch of stuff like that. Um, it's really, really fun. It's um, And, the, of course, I like playing in person the best. The atmosphere is awesome, the conversations. And, and you play for a bunch of money. You can steal money from retired old people by playing at the casino on Tuesday afternoons. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it's a game like there's a strategy to this game, and I wish that it wasn't considered strictly gambling um, because I feel like you're really playing against the other players, and the house is just there to pay for like the faci- like to facilitate having a dealer for everyone. Like you're just paying them for a service, which is having a dealer. But like mm. you know, you don't have to lose any money playing poker. You can play for hours and barely like, lose like no money. It's all up to you whether you want to, you know say that your hand is and you can play very safely and just only bet when you know your hand is like 98 percent. but isn't that like defeating the purpose of poker right because like isn't the fun in knowing that you're gonna lose x (laughs) amount of money no no (laughs) not the i'm gonna lose thousands of dollars (laughs) yeah (laughs) no i i would argue that the fun of poker is winning and the way to win poker is to only make bets that you are to at least some degree more certain than the other person that you're going, that you have the better hand. That's really the ultimate strategy, like what it boils down to. Um, right. Yeah. It part, isn't part of that, like 
you know, putting more money towards the pot and like bluffing and all that, you know, fun stuff that everyone likes. I mean, bluffing is exactly the opposite. Like there are times where you'll find yourself bluffing, but I think that winning players are more likely to just make um, educated guesses. Basically, it's like you make the thing I like about poker, and it's kind of the what I like about magic too. Is there's always um, and it's hard to always it's hard to find because we're not machines, right? We're human beings, but there is always like statistically speaking, an optimal line that you could take and that you should take, and it may not always seem like it, but as long as you always take those optimal lines in, like, the greater percentage of the time, you're going to win. So, like, you might lose $1,000 making the right choice because, statistically speaking, you're likely to win that round, right? But then, like, if you do that, you know, 100 times, at the end, like, you're going to end up winning a bunch of money out of those 100 times because, statistically speaking, that's the right decision, you know? Um, I don't know. I like those types of decisions. I don't know why they just they grind my gears or the opposite they they well well oil they, my that, gears. Yeah, there you go. They oil your gears. Yeah. Let me ask you this: uh, Is poker still fun for you if you take the money out of it? It can be. I play a lot of poker for free. Um, like I play in North Carolina. This is the Bible Belt. They are and they consider poker gambling for some stupid reason. Uh, and so there is not a whole lot of casinos or you know poker joints here. There is a, a traveling troop of like uh kind of like trivia at bars you know they they get up they get up there like every x right. night of the week uh but instead of trivia it's like free poker everyone you just like buy some food and everyone plays poker for free um mm-hmm. you get like points and if you keep playing like every week you get invites to go to vegas and play for real money or something like that but yeah i play poker mm-hmm. for free like no problem the only bad part about it is when when it's like free poker people tend to be a lot more loose and like then they'll get lucky at the end of the like community cards, like the river that comes out, because they just get they just play and just dump all their chips in because they don't care because it's not real money. Um, so, but I yeah, yeah. To answer your question, yeah, I, I still find poker very fun even if it's not money related. Mm, okay. Mm. All right. Um, there you go. Card games. Uh, uh, John, you have anything to endorse? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. fun. <laughs> uh, we we've been talking about like Game of Thrones for the last couple episodes, and we all agree that the last uh, the last few episodes were pretty bad, and uh, <laughs> it probably left a sour taste in all our mouths. And I don't even know that the last couple episodes were bad. It's just the last seasons were like not as good as the other seasons, yeah, right? Really yeah, and and we all I think we we've come to the conclusion we agree that like. That puts the show overall like it, it's hard. It makes it harder to recommend very openly, even though overall the show is really good. Yeah. Um, I don't know who on the planet has not watched Game of Thrones yet, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and and so like my recommendation kind of plays to like the greatest TV series of all time, and like for me, it's my favorite. It's Breaking Bad, and I've been rewatching it. So I recommend Breaking Bad. You guys, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely my top five. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, it's really good. And and rewatching it, I'm definitely seeing a lot of things that I didn't see the first time. Mm. And I'm so glad that I'm on like it, like there's some very nuanced stuff. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I, you care if I give an example, or are you just gonna like spoilers or whatever? I'm not sure. Spoilers or whatever. I mean, this is a good <laughs> right. games podcast. We spoil everything we talk about. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, so there's like this one scene, I think uh like towards the end of season two or the beginning of season three. Um That's where I'm at. Where there yeah, where are you are you rewatching it too? Yeah, I'm re- I started rewatching it like a couple months ago and I'm halfway through season oh, three. Okay. Okay, so they, they take the R V out to like the desert to cook some meth, which is a like a common thing that they do. And um <clears throat> for some reason or another they're done cooking and they're trying to go back uh, back home and uh, the truck, the RV won't start. Up. Oh, yeah. And this one character, Jesse Pinkman, he's like very notorious for being like a screw up, like everything he touches, like automatically gets messed up. And uh, like they're completely screwed. Like the, the RV won't start any attempts that they did to get it to start, like completely backfire. And, uh, they come to like a eureka moment, like the next day, where uh, Walt, which is like the the mastermind of the show, um, he comes up with a way to uh, start up the RV, and he's going over his super genius, like super scientific way of doing it. He, you know, he he pulls out all these uh, pieces of metal. He's explaining what he's doing with like the different chemicals. He tries to, to make a battery, one cell right? battery. Yeah. yeah, he creates a battery. And like, so he's like going over how to create this battery with Jesse, who's just a complete idiot. He, he doesn't like care at all. He's only interested in like doing drugs and like making money and that that's about it. So he like, he gets to the end of his explanation and he, and you know, he's like, so we're going to connect the battery with everything and we're going to use the one element that is the best conductor for that. And what is it? And he looks over to Jesse and he's, and he's holding it in his hands and it's just, you know, the traditional, very uh, red-brown-looking wire. Right. And he goes, oh, wire. We're going to use wire. <laughs> <It's a> con- <laughs> and I just lost it. I just laughed so hard. Yeah. And I was like, that that's a scene I did not remember the first time around. I'm like, that, you know, that's really good. Yeah, that's a great scene. I like that whole that whole yeah. scene with the, the RV yeah. breakdown, yeah. Classic. Yeah. Classic, classic Breaking Bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I that's John's apparently that's John's favorite, uh, his best favorite TV series. I'm going to recommend uh, something bad, <laughs> something terrible. Uh, so, uh, in the past, I have recommended you know, I love me some terrible mm-hmm. movies. Uh, in the past, I have recommended Tommy Wiseau's The Room, I have recommended James Wen's Birdemic. Uh, I now, uh, I submit for your approval, Neil Breen's Fateful Findings. <laughs> it's a disaster movie. Um, you remember in the room, uh, where, um, Lisa's mother is like, oh, uh, and by the way, I, the, the test results are in, I have breast cancer. And then that scene never gets yeah. brought up ever yeah, again for the, like, it's just, Every single scene in Fateful Findings is a complete non sequitur, just like that. None of the scenes of the movie have anything to do with each other. It's all just insane garbage. <laughs> so I Google image searched Fateful Findings, and I'm very excited to watch uh-huh. this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a disaster. I think uh, uh, pretty much everyone we've talked to about the movie, I, I I missed it by chance, but every time I've watched you talk to someone about it, James, they've always like yeah. cringed or facepalmed <laughs> or they just completely disagree with your evaluation of the movie. 
Oh no no no! We all we all agree that it's a disaster. I just happen to enjoy uh, cinematic disasters. Uh, not everybody loves a good bad oh, movie. I sure do. Uh, but I, I love good, bad movies. Uh, Neil Breen's Fateful Findings is right up there. By the way, uh, you, we're going to get a two-for-one recommendation. I watched, I, I, I mentioned just a second ago, James Wen's Birdemic. Uh, Birdemic is amazing. Uh, another classic, so bad, it's good movie. I just watched uh, James Wen's first movie, which is called Replica. Uh, and <laughs> uh, it is... Uh, an exact replica of Birdemic. <laughs> it's the same fucking movie. <laughs> it's the exact same movie, except instead of like a loose homage to Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, it is directly ripping off Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, which I actually really like Vertigo. I think that movie's amazing. Uh, and it actually got me upset to watch James Wen shit all over Vertigo. Mm. <laughs> Just, I mean, he just desecrates it. It's, uh, I mean, he's trying to pay homage to it, but yeah, the you guy's know, a fan of uh, of a Hitchcock. I mean, oh god, it's it's oh yeah. Uh, Replica is a disaster. It's on um, Amazon, I think, uh, and you can find it with Rift Tracks uh, because uh, the, the only problem with the only problem with recommending Faithful Findings is it's really really hard to find. Uh, the only like legal way you can actually watch Fateful Findings is by actually going to stupid Neil Breen's website and giving him like thirty dollars to send you a DVD. Which like his website is the sketchiest thing in the world, and I definitely don't trust putting my credit card information into his website. So uh, when I googled it, it said uh, it was available on iTunes. Okay, well there you go. All right, maybe it's on iTunes. And Voodoo. I don't ever use Voodoo, but it's two nine nine there. Okay, there you go. Uh, okay. Uh, wow. Cool. That's that's exciting. When I watched it a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't find it anyway. Anyway, there you go. So, Faithful Findings and uh, Replica are disasters. They're just the worst. I would tell yeah. everyone who's listening that not to watch those movies. Don't do that. <laughs> Well, just watch you haven't seen either of them. Wait a minute. Wait a goddamn minute. You haven't seen either of these movies. <laughs> I saw like a montage of Faithful Findings and that was enough for me. 2020 <laughs> it was like too much. Uh, I wonder if there's a threshold where it's like, there's a threshold where it's so good. It's so bad. It's good. And I wonder if there's another mm-hmm. threshold on the other end where it's just so, so bad that it was good, but now it's just bad again. No, I think you're yeah. completely on the nail there, Leo. Yeah, there is movies <laughs> like that. Replica got me. Uh, Replica is, might be that. It's so bad it's good, but then it went... It it just it blasphemed and desecrated Vertigo so hard that I got pretty pissed off at, <laughs> at how dumb, how fucking awful Replica is. Right. But yeah, anyway... All right, um, my endorsement is pretty basic. We are talking about card games. One of my favorite card games is Magic the Gathering. I may have already talked about this at some point. I don't remember. But there is a digital version of Magic the Gathering that is actually very popular now. There was always a digital version of Magic, but it sucked. But now, uh, out of beta, in full release form, although I still think it needs some work, is MTG Arena. Um this is a new client uh, for digitally playing Magic the Gathering. It is free. There is this is there is no 
like easier access to magic than than there is now like you can just download mtg arena play for free you get like a bunch of free decks you could play against other players you could draft there's like you know a, a currency system so you don't like you don't have to spend money because you get the free currency by playing more and you could build really competitive decks and uh get to like the higher parts of like the ranked ladder totally for free just just keep playing the game and you'll um, like get whatever cards you want and play the game uh it's smooth is that it's, like a hearthstone model yes it's got is like it a yeah it's got like a hearthstone sort of like ranked model and 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 uh billing model and also the game engine itself is very hearthstone-esque it's cool animations slick fast i mean it's light years beyond uh the old uh game client for magic so it's actually been being streamed a lot more. A lot of Hearthstone players are starting to play it, so it's a growing scene. And I'm seeing a lot more streamers who just started playing in like the last five, six months. It's really cool seeing that, you know, magic, you know, kind of pick up in popularity on the digital scene. So uh, so earlier, John, you said you'd like to play some magic, and I said I'd hold you to it. I challenge you to a game via Magic Arena, my friend. All right, I'll download the client. Let's and James, it. I think you should give it a go too. I know you always talk how about you know like you kind of like magic. I don't. Know, I think if you had more time to play it for free and build some decks, maybe you'd like it a little, a little more. Probably not. <laughs> Probably <laughs> but, you not. Know. But, but can we play two headed giant? Uh, I think they only support like you know single player modes right now, but they're constantly adding to it. They've got a whole team of developers working on it now. Um, I think a mobile app is in the works where it's like rumor has it, you know, they hired a, a mobile um, engineering team uh, and uh, and other modes are going to be coming out. I think like right now it's like only standard 1v1, but like I think they're coming out with their first modern set actually this summer. And, you know, theoretically they could start doing kind of more social games like 2v2 or Commander. That's the only gripe I have with the client right now. I thought it's only been released like a few months. I think it's still very early on, like the social aspect of it, like adding friends and challenging players is still really primitive. So I think that that needs some work. Um, but you know, over time, I guess they'll keep adding to it, and I think it's worth checking out. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Will. MTG Arena. All right. Excellent. Um, uh, I think that's a podcast, right? Yeah, it's a long one. Oh, yeah, it was a long yep. one. God, uh, we we like talking about card games, apparently. Um, yeah. Our next yeah. show is going to be our second annual E3 recap show. So uh, That was a lot of ready. fun last year. So I'm I know. I, I actually went back and re-listened to that episode. Uh, oh, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a good one. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, prepare for E3 uh, and... Uh, if you don't happen to catch all the announcements, then hey, you can just listen to our podcast and you'll hear all of our, uh, whatever, all of our opinions and hot takes on the latest gaming announcements. Um, and the other thing I want to endorse is if you, that's right, you, the listeners of this podcast, have any ideas or recommendations for games you'd like to see us cover uh things you'd like to hear us talk about or if you have any kind of feedback in general you can email us at goodgamescast at gmail.com that's all one word goodgamescast at gmail.com and uh, you can send us your feedback and ideas for episodes and we will read them 
and uh, throw them in the trash. Uh, that's. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that sounded so professional, man, but that, you've ruined it at the end. We'll, we'll burn your ideas and we'll make fun of them. Uh, don't forget, you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Facebook, uh, Spotify, Google Cast, iTunes. Yeah, we're in, we're we're Share in a lot of love. places. We're in a lot of places these days. All right, gentlemen, uh, that went way long, and I'm ready to go to bed. So, uh, for the Good Games Podcast, uh, this has been James. I'm Leo, and I'm John. Oh, we'll see you next time. See ya. Goodbye. Speaking of poop, hold on. I got a poop story to tell you guys. Um, okay, and this God. this might Maybe be we should totally put a naughty cuttable. warning on this. Here we go. No, naughty uh, zone. This, this is really it's poop. <laughs> poop time. Naughty zone. Okay. Um, okay. Have you ever? Have you guys ever had something embarrassing happen that you didn't realize had occurred until it's too late and you're already like out in public with people? And there's nothing you Did can you do about it. Did you shit yourself in public? Close. This is very close. Oh, no. Oh. Okay. So, basically, I had some people over from Florida this weekend, actually. And oh. um, they were wanting to, uh, you know, go to brunch one morning. It was actually, like, mm-hmm. already almost noon. So, we're like, oh, we got we to get going. We got to rush out to brunch. Yep. So, I just quickly showered, picked up some clothes off the floor that was in, like, my, my room, and and right. headed out. It's got a pair of shorts and a you know polo or whatever. Um, upon arriving at the restaurant, we're seated. We're seated at the table. Uh, and in, in retrospect, on the drive to the restaurant, I remember s- smelling like man, something smelled a little off. But I didn't pay much attention. Oh boy! So yep. uh-huh. so we're at the restaurant already, seated down. Food is yep. on its way. We made an order. Yep. And so that yep. after the menus are gone, I start. I take out my phone from my pocket, mm. and on my phone is some brown substance at like right on the screen. Right. And smeared onto like the case. Uh, And I was like, well, that's odd. Is that chocolate? Like what? It was in my pocket. Like the, 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 the had some M&Ms that melted. And of course I took, don't say you tasted it. No, no, you did not taste it. I just, I just smelled it and it didn't smell like good. Obviously (laughs) it didn't smell good, but it didn't smell like, a bunch of poop. It just smelled like right. Yeah. I don't know. It smelled a little off, but anyway, it was poop. Like it was not chocolate, right? Um, so and then my friend who was we were eating with looks over and um, it was like, oh, what's that on your phone? And then we look at my pocket, which had turned inside out from pulling the phone out. Yeah, you know, and there's just there's just poop on it, like all over it. And he what? was like, what? He was like, is that jerky? And I was like, no, uh, I don't think so. Anyway. Long story short, I, I stuffed a napkin in my pocket, ignored it for the remainder of the of the uh, meal. It didn't uh-huh. smell overwhelming, overwhelmingly bad. I got in the car, and Taryn was, like, talking to me during that brunch, like, hey, we should go do this after, or we should do this after. And I was like, uh, maybe, yeah, I don't know. We got back in the car, uh-huh. and I was like, babe, I'm pretty sure our dog pooped in my pocket. <laughs> and she was like uh what like how is that humanly possible like my shorts were on the floor 
and I rushed and put them on. I think the dog pooped in my pocket and I just didn't even pay attention, threw my shorts on and ran out of the house and for hours was sitting around with dog shit in my pocket. No. And Which just, dog is this? No. Please tell me this is your pug that did it. Yes. This is my gassy, oh, yes. stinky yeah. pug. Yep. I think yep. he just, well, he, he, whenever he's yep. upstairs, he doesn't do a very good job of telling us where he has, when he has to go. Cause like, yep. if it, we're downstairs, he can run up to the door. But if we're upstairs, he's just like, well, I guess I'll, I'm just going to poop up here. And so he does that sometimes. And I think he just pooped yep. in just the right spot. I didn't even notice. I just went out with my phone and my poop and just walked out of the house with it. <laughs> And was for hours sitting at a meal with dog turd in my pocket. Taryn was very confused, too, because when I got in the car, I think I was just like, she didn't even know what was going on, you know, like only the guy did. So when we got in the car, mm-hmm. I was just like, hey, I think we should just go home. She was like, what? I was like, yeah, there's poop in my pocket. <laughs> and she just had no idea. Like, she's like, is it your poop? <laughs> like, I was like, no. Did you poop No, it's body? not my poop. Like, it's the dog poop. <laughs> I mean, imagine just getting in the car with like your significant other, and they're right. just like, "I have poop, yeah. <laughs> poop in my pocket." Like, uh, let's, that's silly, man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, amazing. 